Good morning. This morning, we'd like to continue our series um, that we started last week, talking about the miracle of making God known. In this series, we're kind of trying to deal with this apparent disconnect, an apparent disconnect that some of us hold on to. And the disconnect is basically boils down to this, that the God of the Old Testament is completely different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament, we kind of believe, is this extreme God, this violent God, this vengeful God. And then Jesus is all love. He's peace. He's reconciling. He's grace. He's mercy. He's compassion. Now, over the years, traditionally, Christians have dealt with this apparent disconnect in a couple different ways. Um, the first way is to say, well, God is contextual. God meets us where we're at. God is able to meet you where you're at. Now, what's tricky for us is that, you know, we tend to love to live in extremes even when we don't acknowledge it. You know, so one of the extremes is, you know, we say God accepts you where you're at, you know, and it's true. But God is also a God of transformation. God is also a God who wants to make you more and more like Jesus. God and Jesus even came to not only make you like him, but to make you who you were designed to be. So it's not just God meeting you where you're at. If your theology or your bent is only about God meeting you where you're at, you're missing a huge portion of Christianity that it's about transformation that it's about God working in you, that it's about God making you. So it's contextual. When we look at the Old Testament, we have to recognize that that's where they were. But throughout that story, it's a story of redemption, of reconciliation, and it's God making them more and more who he wanted them to be. The other thing that helps with this disconnect is for us to realize that God is whole. You know, God didn't just say, you know what, in the Old Testament I'm this, now in the New Testament I'm this. I'm only going to be this kind of God here and this kind of God here. God is always the same, yesterday, today, forever. God is the same. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. And how another way we've dealt with this apparent disconnect is to say, God fully reveals himself over time. And this makes sense because all of us can think back to not only God meeting us where we're at, but where God met you when you were seven is probably going to be a little different than when you're 27. It's probably going to be a little different when you're 57 or 67. God's going to meet you and transform you and keep growing you, but he's going to reveal himself more and more and more over time. However, the best way we have found to explain the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament through Christian tradition, through Scripture, through everything that we understand is simply this. God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. If you want to see who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to see what God's like, hold on to Jesus. If you want to truly know who is God, look at Jesus. John, Jesus' best friend, said, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God. God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus himself reminds us when his disciples are worried about him going away, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many, many mansions, and I go to prepare it to make it perfect for you. And they said, well, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they said, we don't know the Father. And Jesus says, guess what? No one comes to the Father except through me. But if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, because the Father lives in me, and I'm not just about my, about my Father's business, but if you look at my work, you will see what my Father has already done. Nothing Jesus does in the New Testament, the Father hasn't already done. Because to see Jesus is to see the Father. The miracle of making God known, the writer to the Hebrews put it like this. 
In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited that is superior to theirs. To see Jesus is to see the Father. But to truly understand Jesus, we must hold on to the true miracle of all of creation is that Jesus came to make the Father known. Sometimes we say Jesus came for me, but then it's only about you. And we might be gracious to say Jesus came for the world, but Jesus came for you, the world, and to make his Father known. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 will be reading verses 15 to 23. So this idea last week is that God is creator. And this week we're going to flesh out to see God, see Jesus, to see Jesus, see God. So if God is creator, so is Jesus. In, first, oh, in Colossians 1, starting at verse 15, we read, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith." Establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you have heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that to see God is to see Jesus. And to see Jesus is to see what God's like. It's to see a God that's not just contextual. It's to see a God that's not just whole. It's to see a God who doesn't just reveal himself over time, but it's to see God who's fully revealed. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we understand this morning that when we truly hold on to what it means that Jesus is creator, it impacts how we see his sacrifice. It impacts how we see the salvation gift that you give to us. And it impacts how we see his sovereignty overall. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the creator of the universe. But we thank you for being the creator of our salvation. And we thank you for being the creator of our destinies. And we thank you for being the creator of every future in you. In your holy and precious name, amen. Colossians is a very interesting book. It starts with this idea... Paul is in jail, and he's writing to this group of Christians that could be anything from a small house church to a little bit bigger. And he's writing to this group, 
But he wants to move them from this idea because it's a philosophical thing. If you just say to see Jesus is to see the Father, that's a thought, that's an idea. Paul wants to move them from that simple idea to the actual physical reality that Jesus is God. And he doesn't mince words here in Colossians. He asserts that Jesus is creator just like Yahweh the Father is. He says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now, a lot of us, well, all of us, we're living in 2019. We're we're children of modernity. So when we see firstborn, we think about time and place. In that culture, it wasn't about time and place. Firstborn was a title of honor. Firstborn was a title of, 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 of primacy, of supremacy. If you wanted to say this is the most important, if you want to say he matters the most, if you want to say he is above all, you would call him the firstborn. And how we know this is Jesus, when he came into time and place, already had thousands of years of human history, but he came into that time and place. Jesus elsewhere is called the firstborn from among the dead. But God raised people from the dead before that, didn't he? Jesus himself raised people from the dead. So the idea of firstborn is that Jesus matters most. That's what Paul is trying to hammer here. He says, don't just have the idea in your head that to see God is to see Jesus. Have the idea in your head that Jesus is God. God fully revealed. All things are created through Jesus Christ. Jesus has supremacy over everything, and it pleased God to fully dwell in Jesus. I don't think we think on this enough. It pleased God to say, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my son. If you want to see me, that's what I look like. Don't get tripped up in the Old Testament and say, this is confusing. Go to Jesus Christ and say, that's what God is like. Don't get locked in these stories and you're like, I don't know what's happening. I can't take you back thousands of years. I can try to explain as best as I can. But God says, today, if you want to understand what I'm like, look at my son, Jesus Christ. That's when we say to see God is to see Jesus. means that we need to know who this Jesus is. And it pleased God to submit to his son. And I want us to hear this part. Because we look at Jesus as submitting to the Father, and he does that always. But it pleased God to say, you know what? I know we have all of the scriptures so far. I know we have these thousands and, and maybe millions of people who have believed in me. And they believed me through this glass that was, that was kind of dark or this door that was kind of cracked open. But if you want to see me and see all that there is and see what my heart is like and know what my love is like and know what I'm like, please look at my son. Because it's him I dwell in. It's him who's reconciled all things. And what I love about this passage is it's a reminder that Jesus holds everything together. We sometimes like to point out how the world is falling apart. Jesus holds everything together. We like to point out how the world is so dark. Jesus holds everything together. We like to fall out, point out where we fall short. Jesus holds everything together. We like to point out all the hopes and dreams and, and fears that we have. Jesus holds all things together. That's not just again, and that's the heart of Colossians. Don't just think about it. Make it your physical reality. That's what Paul is driving home. Hope has to be physical reality. Because if hope is just an idea, it can slip. Or you can take your eyes off Jesus. But if hope is your everyday reality, then it's something you're actively believing in and working for. Jesus is not just to see God, to see Jesus. 
Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. When you see God in the Old Testament, you're seeing it from your lenses. You didn't walk those streets. You weren't in that wilderness. You didn't know about the gods that the people had to work their way through. But when you look at Jesus, you can see the perfect picture of God. But here's the thing. When you look at Jesus, you can also see the perfect picture of what God created you to be. And that's the one I want us to also hold on to because he's perfectly God, but he's also perfectly man. He's perfectly God, but he's come to show us that it's possible that you and you and you and all of us can live in a way that pleases God. Paul wants these people to know that Jesus is fully God. Now, why is this important? Why is it so important that Paul is suffering in jail and he hears the report of this church? He's a, and it's almost like, you know, I had a, a doctor's appointment this week. And my doctor, I don't know, it was early in the morning, I guess, because he was just like a drone, you know. It was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I got to my cholesterol and he's like, oh, my gosh, it's so good. And I was just like, well, thank you, genetics, you know. <laughs> but I think this is what happened to Paul in jail. He gets the report from the Colossians church. He's like, yeah, good. Yeah, wow. I've never even been to Colossae. Wow, they took the word of the God and then like this multicultural church, it's happening? Colossae, tell me, this is great. But there was something wrong taking root in Colossian church, in the Colossian church. Because yes, it was a church plant. And it came, we believe, when Paul did his uh, missionary journey and he was three years in Ephesus. And it says everyone in the area heard the word of the Lord and he proclaimed the gospel and everyone heard it. And these churches started. But the thing about the Colossian church is that Colossae itself had grown insignificant to the world, but not to Paul. You see, the entire area was pretty wealthy. It was known for the wool industry, but it was also known for a special kind of dye that they had that apparently you couldn't get anywhere else in the world. So this made them very wealthy. Well, I would say it made some of them very wealthy because um, Colossae or Colossians or Colossae was in between of these three cities. You know, if you want to do it, it's kind of like Carlisle, Harrisburg, York, right? Or if you go the other way, Carlisle, York, Lancaster, whatever triangle you need to do, right? So think of them that closely together. However, Colossae had become what's called the forgotten city, the faded city. Because the others were growing in wealth. They were growing in importance. Laodicea, which is one of them, was the political and financial center of the region. Hierapolis, which was the other one, was known for these hot springs, and it became the medical center. And, and, and Colossae was just forgotten. Now, I kind of think of Colossae as Harrisburg. And this is why. Because in their day and age, they had three cities. And it was all because of closeness and how people can get to these cities. In our day and age where your neighbor could be halfway around the world and you can connect to them to this box that you have in your pocket, I almost think of Colossae as Harrisburg in this sense. When people think about Pennsylvania, what do they think about? Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. We're this forgotten city. So I think in that way we can remember Colossae. But here's the other thing about Colossae that I loved. It's a very multicultural church. It's a very multicultural church. Don't believe the lie when people tell you what we're trying to do here is, is something new. It's very new. It starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. Don't believe the lie when they say, like, this is just some new, like, you know, like, it's just like everybody, yeah, let's just be multicultural. That's a cool thing to do. It is not the cool thing to do. It's hard. And you need Jesus to do it. 
Because you have to say that you matter more to me than I matter to myself. I belong to you and you belong to me. We're in this together. See, Colossae had this region where there were so many ex-Jews, well, Jews who had left Jerusalem in that area that one time the Roman governor in this Asian province, he noticed that so many people were sending back temple tax that he's like, you know what? I need you to invest in us. So what he did is he had a stop on the shipment. And what they found out is that this one shipment of temple tax was 20 pounds of gold. Now, somebody did the math. It wasn't me. So I'm just going to trust them, right? And, and they did the math, and they said that 20 pounds of gold just for temple tax equates to 50,000 Jews in the area. So, yes, this was a multicultural church. Colossae was also this major trade center. That's why it was so diverse, because people would come from all over the world, whether it was for the dye or for the wool, but they settled here. But here's the thing that's most interesting about the church. It was multicultural because it was primarily filled with Gentiles, just like us. It was multicultural because it wasn't people who grew up in the Jewish faith. It was people who saw this God, saw this Jesus, and said, I want him to be my Lord and Savior. But the other thing that's interesting about this church is not just similar to us because it's multicultural or full of Gentiles or forgotten city. The thing that was interesting and the reason they mattered so much to Paul is Paul got a whiff of a heresy. Heresy is not a word we use anymore, a lot anyway. But heresy basically means a belief that's not orthodox Christian. When we think about orthodoxy, it's a belief that would contradict what God has revealed. It's a belief that would consistently contradict Scripture. It's a belief that would contradict the body of Christ. Again, we're very individual. But if the entire body of Christ lands somewhere, maybe we ought to listen. But it's also a belief that would contradict Christian tradition. And this gets tricky for some of us because they'll be like, well, racism doesn't contradict Christian tradition, and racism is taught in the Old Testament. But I would say the racism that we had in these shores is not the racism or the, the slavery that we had in the Old Testament. We have to remember and remind ourselves that what God has revealed and Christian tradition has always been every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Even when Israel was a nation, what did God say? My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. What did I create Israel to be? A light to all the nations. Jesus himself, when he talks about the mustard seed and his church going forth, he says, I want your faith to be like this big tree where the birds of the earth can come and perch on it. And what he meant by that is, this is not just for you. I have come for the world. The tree might represent your faith, but is your faith making it a home and a place of rest for all the world to come to me? Heresy, though, has to contradict those four things. But here's the other hard part about heresy. It has to come from within. It has to come from the church. If you don't believe in Jesus, you can't be a heretic. If you're not trying to follow Jesus and submit to Jesus, you can't be a heretic. You might have heretical ideas. You might have things that, like, doesn't fit into Christian tradition or the Scripture and all that. But if you don't belong to the body, you can't be a heretic. And that's why Paul writes his letter, because there was people within the body who were attacking things that God had revealed, things that Scripture had revealed, things that the church was supposed to hold on to. 
They were attacking this idea, is Jesus fully God? Are we sure he's fully God? Is Jesus really the creator? Like, really? Isn't God the Father the one who created everything? If Jesus is God, was he human? You know, God can't be human. Jesus, I get it. But if he's human, is he really more powerful than the angels and the demons? Because there's a lot of angels and demons, right? You stub your toe and that's a demon, right? There's a lot of powerful demons out there. Is Jesus really more powerful than the angels and the demons? And how about this one? They said the gospel is too easy. The gospel is too simple. If you want to really follow God, you got to know the right equation. You got to have the perfect knowledge. We're so far removed from God that you need to know the right rituals and the right, right thing to do to, to, to build up, to build up, to build up, to climb your way to God. They said faith is spiritual. It's not physical, meaning that faith is just ideological. It just matters what you think about God. It doesn't matter how you live. This is why Paul in jail says, no, 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 no. We got to clear some things up right now. And you can argue that this passage we read this morning is probably Paul's number one. If you had a ranking of Paul talking about Jesus, this would be number one. Because he fleshes out who Jesus is in response to all these attacks. But here's the thing. These attacks are still happening today. You don't have to look very far. And honestly, you might have to start in your own heart in thinking some of these ideas. Do I believe that Jesus is fully God? Do I believe that Jesus is really the creator of the universe? Do I really believe in Jesus' humanity? Do I believe Jesus is more powerful than the darkness I see? Do I believe Jesus is more powerful than the forces of this world? Do I believe that Jesus is more powerful than the nations who make the laws, than the people who have the money? Do I believe that Jesus is all-powerful? Do I believe my faith should actually impact my life? Do I believe that Jesus is the center of it all? Do I believe that Jesus is outdated? Do I believe that what Jesus says counts? Or do I know better than Jesus? Some of these heresies are still within our own hearts, which is why it's good to be reminded by what Paul says. You see, the people in the Colossian church were raised in a tradition that basically we've now called Gnostics. And the Gnostics comes from the, the Greek word for knowledge because they believe you can know more. And it's all about knowledge, not even about how you live. And some of their basic principles were this. Spirit. You're spiritual. Your soul is good. Your body is bad. All matter is bad. In fact, the world in its physical appearance and all these things that we see, it has to be bad because it's not spiritual. And in fact, God is so spiritual, he's so removed from us, that what he did is he had like these agents on his behalf who would go and there would be, because God is like, I'm spiritual, y'all physical. I need to be up here. So what God did is he had, you know, maybe tens, maybe hundreds, and all these agents that were further and further away from God because he had to be further and further away from the physical world. 
And these agents, the final one was probably this guy named Jesus. He's not that special. He's just the final agent. And in fact, these agents not only contradicted God, but because God is holy and good, they want nothing to do with God. And that's what they were rising up and saying. So Paul says, you know what? If you want an agent in creation, you're right. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus, God might have spoken into existence, but the agent who got the work done was Jesus Christ. Just like when we look at our salvation, God made the plan, but who got it done but Jesus Christ. Paul says if you want to look at creation, you have to know that Jesus is the one who spoke the world into existence, who formed everything that we see. Jesus is God, but Jesus is also flesh and blood. John, his best friend, says, we see him, we held him, we know him, we touched him. If you believe this morning that God is so far away from you that you can't reach him, Satan is winning, and he's winning the war for your soul. He's winning the war for your hope. He's winning the war for your life. God sent Jesus for you. So that you can not only see God in in his perfect manifestation, so that you can know that God is real. You know, this was actually kind of um, um, forged in my head to that great philosophical movie, Troy. I don't know if you remember that movie. It was Brad Pitt. He's dreamy. But in this movie, Brad Pitt has this scene with, um, um, I think it's uh, the priest, one of the priestesses. And, and she's having this conversation with him about why he doesn't fear the gods, you know. And Brad Pitt's response is Troy, uh, uh, it, well, he, yeah, it's Brad, Troy's the city. Brad Pitt's response is Achilles is, but why do we need to even think about the gods or fear the gods? They're all the way up there, you know. We're humans. We're finite. And that's beautiful because we only live in the moment. And I remember as a 17, 18-year-old watching that, I'm like, man, does this not sum up our world today, Right? God is up there. We live in the moment. It's all about us because we're special right now and right there. But I left the movie, and I started thinking. I was just like, oh, my gosh. What if Brad was right? What if God is so far removed from us that he cannot relate to us? What if God is so far up there that we got to climb our way to him? You see, this heresy that was starting in the Colossian church can start in our own hearts too. And I got to a point where I've never been more down in my life because I have said to myself, if God cannot relate to me, I don't know if I can believe in God. And then I had a friend who nudged me in the right direction, and she nudged me like this, you idiot. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus came in flesh and blood. Jesus came in in the skin. He moved into our time and our place so that we can never say, I cannot relate to God. When you doubt, God is there. When you fear, God is there. When you feel all alone, God is there. When you feel so far away from God, it's okay. God is still there. Where can I go from your spirit, David said? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand who I interpret as Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of God, amen? Your right hand, Jesus Christ himself, will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night all around me. It's one of my favorite parts of scripture. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. We may see darkness, but when God is with us, the light is already there. We may feel broken, but if God with us, he's already healing us. Jesus holds all things together. Jesus reconciles all things. Jesus is God, but Jesus is perfectly human. He knows what you've gone through, and he can help you through it. There's nothing you've thought. There's nothing you've done. There's no place you've been that God hasn't been, that God hasn't healed, that God hasn't resurrected. This idea that the body is evil was so prevalent in the church, and it's so prevalent today because there's so many of us who we might accept God's forgiveness, but we do not do a good job forgiving ourselves because we say we're not good. We say we're not good enough. We might know, and this is why you got to make this your lived hope and your reality, we might know that God forgives. We might know that God doesn't hold stuff against us, but then we don't forgive ourselves. And we hold stuff against ourselves. And we might know that we're greater than the worst thing we've done, but we don't walk in that reality. We might know that God wants to set us free, but we keep binding ourselves to the decisions and the stuff that we're doing. I'm here to tell you this morning, your body is not evil. Your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, the essence of who you are, the heart of who you are was created by God. And in Christ Jesus, it can be redeemed, yes, but you can also be set free. Because if you primarily look at yourself as bad and evil, you will get to a point where you believe that you're unlovable. You'll get to a point where you believe that you don't matter. You'll get to a point where you believe that you're just one of many. But to God, you're the apple of his eye. To God, you're the most important creation. To God, he's the lover of your soul. To God, you're his beloved daughter. To God, you're his son. To God, you matter most. And this idea of secret knowledge to reach God, Paul says, I'll give you secret knowledge. The first one is that Jesus is Lord of all creation. The second one is that Jesus has power over all of creation. But here's the third one. The gospel may be easy, but believing and living it might be hard. But the easy gospel is, don't just start at the cross. Remember, the whole gospel is what Jesus came for. The gospel begins that the God of this universe came into our neighborhood. That God was incarnate, that he became flesh and blood and dwelled among us. That the God of the universe came as a baby, grew as a boy, got to be our Lord and Savior. And Jesus in coming didn't just come into the world, but he showed us how to live, how to love in a way that pleases God. And then he went to the cross. Despite the shame, despite the suffering, despite the pain for you, for me, 
for the world. And he defeated sin. And he defeated death. And he went down to the depths of hell. But on that third day, he rose again. And there's a story to tell us that death has been defeated. The reason this morning God wants to know that in Christ you are good is because he's defeated every darkness. Remember, the darkness is what? It's like light to the Lord because if the Lord is there, his light is always shining. There's no place you can be this morning that God isn't with you. You may not feel it, but he's there. You may not believe it, but he's there. You may not have a way to wrap your arms around it, but his arms are already wrapped around you. God is never far. God is always near. We do not need a secret knowledge to get to God. We only need Jesus Christ. We only need Jesus Christ. We do not need the perfect formula. We just need Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all of creation. Jesus is Lord over the church. But what I love about this passage is the reminder that Jesus was sent by God to do the work of creation, do the work of establishing the church. Then he went up to heaven. And Jesus says, you know what? My father made me an agent to do his work. And now I have you, my church, my sisters and brothers, to do the work in this world. The work of being the church, the work of being God's love, the work of bringing hope in despair, the work of shining light in darkness, the work of bringing healing in brokenness. It's now you, you are Christ's agent, the meaning you believe in Jesus Christ. The minute you choose Jesus, welcome to the team. There's work to be done. Jesus is near. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. I, I'm never going to get tattoos, but if I ever got a tattoo, it would say, Jesus is near. I don't know how the Old Testament talks about writing the words of, of God on your heart, tattooing them on your heart. I think somebody needs to hear this morning that Jesus is near. Jesus is with you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's with you right now. And I don't want to say it doesn't matter that you don't feel it. It does matter that you don't feel it. But even if you don't feel it, guess what? He is still near. And here's the last two things I want us to hold on to. Following God must be living to bring glory to God alone. Following God must not be about you. It must not even be about the people around you. It must not even be for the world. It's got to be about bringing glory to God alone. That's what we live for. We're going to end by singing a song that's familiar to some of us about Jesus being the center of it all. And just like our gospel must be full, that we can't just sing about the cross. We have to remember that God sent Jesus, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is now in heaven preparing it for you. That's the full gospel. But the gospel must be full, yes, but Jesus must always be at the center. Jesus must always be at the center of your faith. Because if Jesus is not the center, if your eyes wander off, you miss who Jesus is. You miss what he's doing, and you miss what he's come to do. 
like to invite up the intercessors to pray for you as well. We'd love to pray for you for whatever you've got going on. But all of us, as we sing this song, maybe our prayer, maybe our rededication to put Jesus at the center of all that we are.
the center of your church. Oh, Jesus, be the center of your church. And every knee will bow, and every tongue shall confess you, Jesus. I was listening to a song yesterday, and the, the line from the song that got me, I'm a child of the AIM generation, so I'm all about lyrics, and I, I used to put them up my away messages. But the, song, the line that got me was simply this. When we look at Jesus, we see God. But when we see ourselves the way God sees ourselves, everything changes. Our Father, our God, we thank you that you're the God of all creation. We thank you that you're the God of this church. But we pray now as we leave that you be the God at the center of our lives. God, help us to know that you're always there. Help us to know that you're always ours. Help us to know that there's no place we can go that you're not there already. Help us to know, God, that you didn't just create the world, but you're calling us to create your world. That you didn't just form the church, but you're calling us to be your church. God, just like you were a representation, a perfect representation of your Father, help us in how we live and how we love to be a representation, a perfect representation of you to our world. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all.